to you. If you would, would you turn in a Bible to Galatians chapter 4, verses 12. We're going to read through verse 20. And if you would, would you stand for the reading of Scripture? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, may you be pleased to open our ears and our eyes. Show us wondrous things and enable us to combine our hearing with faith that we might profit from what you say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 12, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And through my condition, though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but receive me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. You may be seated. Is Christ being formed in you? Are you more like Jesus this year than you were this time last year? Let me be very specific. Are you more gracious and patient with the people who irritate you? Are you more tenderhearted with people who struggle? Are your words more life-giving? Are you loving people with a, a courageous love? Or are you simply avoiding difficult things? Are you experiencing greater confidence and joy in your relationship with God, regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in? Are you less self-absorbed? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the only flawless person that's ever lived. He was self-forgetful. He was a master at loving uh, people. Uh, he was full of life and hope, so much so that people were drawn toward him. People wanted to be in his presence. Now, if you're here and you are not yet a Christ follower, I want you to understand that what the Bible means when it talks about being human when it says we bear the image of and likeness of God, if you want to know what that looks like, look at Jesus. That's what it looks like to be fully human. That's what we were meant to be like. 
So what does this church have to do with becoming truly uh, human, of having Christ formed in you? In fact, you may even be skeptical that that uh, could uh, happen. Well, the church means a lot of things to different people. For some people, it's steeples and organs and hymn books. For other people, it's potlucks, uh, Wednesday night prayer meetings, and pews. And for still others, and I would say this is increasingly so, those who uh, want good teaching or preaching may wonder, is church really relevant at all? I can get any kind of teaching and preaching on the Internet today from any kind of teacher on any uh, topic. I've asked a lot of people through the years who go to church, why? What's it all about? And many of them actually don't know what difference coming to church should make in their lives. I want to suggest to you that if you don't understand the purpose of church, you're not going to be able to intelligently participate in it, and it's not going to be nearly as much value to you as it could be. Now, church is not a gathering simply to see people who are your friends. Although, hopefully, if you uh, come and seek to follow Christ, you will develop uh, friends. It's not uh, merely a place to experience the comfort and familiarity of a worship service. It's not a place to just come and have someone uh, confirm what you already think or uh, believe. No, it is to be a person who is being increasingly formed into the likeness of Christ. Now, that's not its only purpose, but that's the purpose Paul develops in this uh, passage. And here in this passage, uh, Paul speaks of his ministry, his relationship as an apostle, as a missionary, as a church planter, and a pastor to the Galatians. And it's really, what he says here is very, very rich. It might not seem like that right on its surface. But Paul starts by urging them to become like him so that Christ might be formed in them. And he uses a really striking image in verse 19. He says, For I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's, he's speaking like a parent. He's actually, of course, speaking uh, like a mother who is in labor, in the agony of labor. And Paul says he is in agony once again uh, with the Galatians until Christ's likeness is formed in them. Now, you may notice that the tone in this letter has shifted. It's very confrontational at the beginning of the letter. And now it's personal. Uh, there's something tender and emotional as he recounts the nature of his ministry. It's a gospel-centered ministry. For three chapters, half the letter, he's argued for the centrality of uh, the gospel. And he's clarified what the gospel is uh, in comparison to all its alternatives. And here it is that he describes a ministry, his ministry, that's life-changing and transformational. He describes how it is that Christ is formed in us through gospel-centered ministry. 
And I, I want to say something as an aside, because I, I think it, it's just entirely possible that some of you are going to think, well, this is just not really that much connected to my life. You're going to talk about things that pastors and maybe elders should be uh, concerned about. But no, all of you have been entrusted with the ministry. If you're Christ, you all have a ministry. You are part of the ministry of, a, of the church of Jesus Christ. All of you are given gifts uh, to that end, and all of you have a role to play. And actually, all of you are needed by the rest of us. The gospel-centered ministry is, first of all, adaptive. Paul in verse 12 says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. It's that last phrase. That's adaptive. I have become as you are. You see, Paul reached the people of Galatia by becoming one of them. He spent time with them. He listened to them. He came to the place where he understood their hopes, their dreams, uh, the struggles and challenges in their lives. And he was so effective because wherever he went, he related to people like this. He was culturally adaptable. He puts it this way in the first letter to the Corinthians. He says, though I'm free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those who are not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share its blessings. Paul did not ask or expect those that he entered into a relationship with to become Jewish. He didn't expect them uh, to adopt the kosher rules at the table. Although he'd grown up doing that, that was a part of his culture is a religious heritage. He respected the culture of the Galatians, and he built a two-way bridge. He didn't build a bridge and said, you've got to come to my side. He went to their side of the bridge. He joined them the way missionaries join people in their culture. He ate their food. He listened to their music. He participated in their culture, and all effective missionaries all come to love the culture they live in. They, they do. You know, it doesn't grate on them. They enjoy it. Uh, they appreciate it. They can affirm it. Uh, Paul incarnates the message of the gospel this way with his life, just as God the Son came into human existence. He was born as a man. Gospel ministry 
is careful to remove cultural barriers. And churches have often failed uh, to do this. There are a lot of ways churches fail to do this. One of them is that churches often use insider uh, language. Some of it's religious language. Sometimes it's theological uh, shorthand. And it means that people who uh, aren't a part of that group think either it's strange or it's incomprehensible. They have no idea uh, what you're uh, talking about. We experienced this since when we moved into the Deep South, when we heard people saying, I'm going to carry you to the store. We thought that is a really strange way uh, to talk. Um, and there are many things that happen in the Christian subculture that are just as strange to someone who didn't uh, grow up in a Christian environment. And of course, some churches have either spoken and sometimes unspoken expectations, behavioral expectations of people that if you don't meet them, you do not feel uh, welcomed. In other words, there's a great tendency uh, within the church to insist on conformity. And sometimes uh, these rules are the product of self-righteousness. They reflect uh, deep insecurity uh, because the group needs to demonstrate that it's right. It's got a deep need to be right. You see, you can't build bridges with people if you bristle when you're with them. If you bristle when they uh, express a point of view that's different than yours. You can't build bridges with people, this should go without saying, if your first stance with people is confrontational. In other words, to tell them everything that's wrong with them. A testimony uh, to Christ, the gospel message is not, once I was a mess like you and I believed all that crazy stuff you believe, and now, look at me, I've got it all together. You see how how just unattractive that is, what a barrier that is. It just puts up a wall between people. And Paul took down walls. And there's another piece to this. Gospel-centered ministry is personal. It's closely connected. He says, become as I am. This is the very first command in this letter. This is the first time he says, you need to do uh, something. He's, he directly gives them a command. And Paul wants the Galatians uh, to adopt his lifestyle of dependent faith, uh, a faith that rests confidently on Jesus' obedience and righteousness. He wants them to turn from works and self-effort to make themselves acceptable to God. Uh, and, and to rest in the knowledge that God himself knows them, that he has chosen them to be in a relationship with him. And he wants them to follow him in all the ways that he's going to describe in the rest of this letter. He summons people to follow his example. And he does this uh, throughout his letters. Follow my example as I follow Christ. And uh, this imitation by those uh, who come in contact with Paul is possible because Paul opens his life to them. 
He puts it this way in the first letter to the Thessalonians. He says, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Not just the gospel, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work day and night in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among those who believed. For you know that we dwelt with each other as each of you as a father deals with his own children. Excuse me, I've stumbled through that. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So Paul mentored them. He came alongside of them. He modeled for them. He coached them. He encouraged them as they started to follow uh, Jesus. And this is not something that's unique to apostolic ministry. Because the gospel-centered ministry must be both adaptive and personal. It must build uh, bridges and tear down barriers and connect with people in a personal manner. Paul instructs uh, the young pastor Timothy uh, in this way. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And Peter writes in a similar way. He says to the elders, to the church leadership, I appeal to you as your equal, as a fellow uh, elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock that's under your care. Be eager to serve them. Being examples to the flock. You see, this needs to be true of all leaders. But actually, everyone who wants to influence someone else with the gospel needs to do this because people only learn what it looks like to follow Jesus actually by encountering people who are following him, who have normal responsibilities, who have jobs and who have families, and every family, you know, has a crazy uncle, a strange niece, somebody that's really difficult to relate to. They need to see people as they suffer, as they experience trials and difficulties. They need to see the difference that being in a relationship with Jesus makes. For Christ to be formed in people, they need to see Christ being formed in someone else. I said that very purposely. It's not they need to see somebody who's achieved Christ's likeness. No, they need to see somebody who's in the process of becoming like Christ. And that happens in the context of personal relationships. It's one of the things that can come as a benefit of being in a small group. A small group creates a structure and supports the opportunity uh, for personal uh, interaction. And there are other forms it can take. Uh, One-on-one mentoring, 
or intentional small group uh, discipleship. The third mark of gospel-centered ministry is uh, based, it's based on authoritative truth. In verses 13 and 14, Paul writes this. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. So Paul is expressing here his self-conscious apostolic authority. Paul uh, is completely comfortable with them saying, you are a uh, messenger from God. (laughs) You're like one of God's angels. In fact, he doesn't even shrink back from accepting you are like Christ Jesus uh, coming because uh, they recognize that he is an authoritative messenger with an authoritative message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's comfortable with it even though he can say and, and sincerely believed that he was the chief of sinners, uh, that he had not achieved uh, Christ's likeness, but he uh, knew that the message he came with came with the very authority of Christ. And what this shows us is that lives can only be changed when we have both personal relationships, a human element, and an authoritative message. It's not one or the other, but they both need to be joined together for deep and lasting change to take place. There has to be a personal relationship and the authoritative word of God. Paul puts this uh, this way uh, to Timothy in his first letter to this uh, young uh, pastor. He's probably more than a pastor. He's sort of his troubleshooter in the church of Ephesus. And he says, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. See, it's essential, your doctrine and your life, your life and your doctrine. What you teach, you must live. You must show people what it looks like to live it. And you need to explain to people why it is you're seeking to live the way you do from the Word of God. Now, gospel-centered ministry is responsive to opportunities. That's what Paul is getting at in verse 13 uh, when he says, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you. In other words, it wasn't Paul's plan to go to Galatia at all. Galatia is actually kind of a, what we might describe as a small town place. It's a, it's a place uh, that's kind of rural. 
And Paul's missionary strategy was to go to the uh, cities in the Roman Empire and to first find the synagogue and then plant churches, hopefully at some who responded to the gospel in the synagogue, but he would plant churches in the cities because he knew that the cities would in turn influence the region around them. This wasn't on Paul's itinerary. But uh, uh, Paul was forced to stop. This was an unplanned stop. And he stopped and made the gospel known to hundreds of people and planted several churches. Now we need to take a, a detour for just a moment and, and think about that. I want to say something I didn't plan to say. But you know, you all as a church for many years uh, had, you lived in the, the tents of temporary buildings and you prayed for a place. And uh, you know, from what little scraps of things I can see, you looked and considered possibilities for a long time. And God opened the door for you to have this place. It is not a coincidence that you are here. God has planted you here. And you should seek to be responsive to this place where God has placed you. That's true of you too where you live. God's put you in a neighborhood. He's put you in a job. He's put you in a school. There are people there he wants you to be responsive to. But it's true of you as a congregation. He's planted you here. Now, we need to reflect a bit on suffering and its relationship to gospel-centered ministry, a ministry that actually transforms lives. Uh, gospel-centered ministry means you expect to suffer so that others may grow. Note again what Paul says in verse 19. Paul was in agony over the spiritual development of these Galatian Christians, who he calls friends and brothers. Paul's illness was a part of how their relationship got started. Well, just what was that illness? Well, we don't know. It could have been malaria. It could have been epilepsy. But whatever it was, it could be seen. It was visible. It had a visible manifestation. They could see uh, there was something. And Paul comments on their reaction uh, that was a trial uh, to them. Uh, it presented for them the temptation that they would despise Paul and not receive his message. Why is that? Well, they're pagans. And from their point of view, they would naturally think, well, how could this man be God's messenger and God not heal him? And almost certainly, at least this is the majority uh, view, that uh, this illness is the same illness Paul refers to as his thorn in the flesh. He writes about that illness this way in the end of the second letter to the Corinthians. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, 
that I am strong. So we see that God works through weakness and suffering. In fact, it's his preferred way of working, of doing things. You can see it in that the way that God brought about our redemption was the Son of God was born with human frailty into human uh, weakness, into the limitations of a body. And if you know the gospel story, you know that Jesus suffered greatly, uh, climatically at the cross. And it's there at the cross that the very central redemptive uh, purpose for which Christ came is accomplished. It's in the midst of the suffering of the cross that salvation comes. And so we shouldn't really be surprised that transformational suffering in a church, suffering that's, ministry that's centered on the gospel involves suffering. Uh, Paul, of course, was told this when uh, he came to Christ, that he would suffer greatly for the cause of the gospel, and he did. He suffered hostility from rulers and authorities, but also from his Jewish countrymen uh, who rejected his message of grace and truth. And Paul suffers with people. These words that he speaks about being in agony reflect his burden for people. His burden as they experience temptation and as they give into it. He suffered as he saw people take two steps toward Christ and then three steps away. He suffered as they resisted his instruction and viewed him as an enemy. He comments that way in verse 16. If you become meaningfully involved with other people, you will suffer. Angry people will eventually get angry at you. Struggling people at times will just shut you out and refuse to talk with you. Hurting people often hurt the people who love them well. Meaningful ministry is often neither convenient nor comfortable. And suffering is not a sign that something has gone wrong. No, suffering is a part of the real shape of all ministry. And it's that suffering that has the power, strangely enough, to actually transform lives. There's one more uh, trait of life-transforming ministry, and that is that gospel-centered ministry is a long-term relationship of love. Something had changed in the relationship between Paul and the Galatians. In verse 12, he says when he was first with them, they did not wrong him. And then in verses 14 and 15, he says, You were so grateful that I had come among you and spoken the gospel that they offered to him their most precious treasure, their eyesight. They would have offered it to him. And in verse 15, he says, what has become of the blessing you have felt? This is the same thing he says, is what happened to your joy? And then he says, have I become your enemy? They've, of course, come under the ministry of uh, people who taught a different gospel that was, in fact, not a gospel at all. These uh, Jewish, probably Christians, were bringing legalism 
to the church. And their goal was actually to capture the hearts and minds and affections of these people. They wanted to make them fans. They wanted them to be emotionally dependent on them. People who emotionally needed them and who fed their egos so that they had someone to boast in. And that goal shaped uh, their, the very means that they used. They were zealous to win them over. This happens today when uh, pastors tell people what they want to hear. They pander uh, uh, to people in order to get their loyalty. And we're especially prone to it today because we live in a celebrity culture. And you don't have to have a church of thousands or a pastor uh, who is a conference speaker or is a published author or has a following uh, on, the blo- on a blog to have a celebrity pastor. Churches often encourage that in their pastor. Some of it probably unwittingly because they want to honor the person who has this calling. But there's a place where it can just shift over and become something else. Paul's goal was uh, for Christ to be formed in them. He wasn't trying uh, to get fans. He wanted people to follow Jesus. He wanted them uh, to be fans of Jesus. He wanted them to be dependent not on himself, but on Christ, the same way that parents want their children to grow up and become independent and to lead their own lives. The false teachers wanted people who would glory in uh, themselves, in the teachers who had come. And Paul wants those who come under his ministry to glory in Jesus. And Paul concludes he wants to be warm and affirming as he holds out the gospel to them. But he's free of the need of people's approval and adoration. And when we are, we too can confront and even anger the people we love if that's what's best for them. You see, if you only love people enough to risk their anger and to confront them with the truth of the gospel. It's only then they'll change. They don't always respond well to that. But it's essential for truth to have this measure of confrontation. The gospel-centered ministry is marked by loving honesty, not spin or image or flattery. See, Paul was willing uh, to suffer just as an expecting mother does in labor. Actually, as she suffers through much of pregnancy. Where could you get somebody like Paul? I I know you're going to be searching for a pastor soon. And that's, uh, that's not just that question. I want to say to you in God's plan that pastors and church members are to love each other so deeply that it hurts. It hurts when people make terrible, destructive decisions in their lives. 
It, it hurts when people isolate themselves and they cut themselves off uh, from others. It hurts when uh, people stop pursuing Christ and say no to him. This is not just for pastors. It's for everyone who's a member in a local church. You see, in a healthy ministry, our lives are so consistent and our heart is so satisfied with Jesus that you can long for people to have what you have. And if you're living in community with other people, then people will see your motives and your joy and they'll be attracted by it. But if you're enslaved uh, to idols through work righteousness, you will demand that people live just like you. Out of a desire to justify yourself and deal actually with your own anxiety and need to believe that you're all right. But if you're freed from idols and self-righteousness, you'll simply want other people to enter into the freedom that you share. And your efforts at ministry will be warm, They'll be personal and they'll be self-revealing. Become like me, Paul says, and not condemning and harsh and impersonal. I want to push this as I close here in just two further applications. Healthy churches are adoptive. Now, excuse me. <laughs> adaptive. Personal. Uh, they they have authoritative truth and they're willing to suffer for people. To reach people, to draw people toward Christ, as well as to see people become more like him. It's both. It's not either or, it's both and. And in the days ahead, as you begin to think about what kind of pastor you want, there's much, there's much in this passage to consider about that person's ministry before you look at them and really consider seriously calling them to be your next pastor. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, be pleased uh, uh, to receive our thoughts and meditations this morning. Uh, uh, capture our hearts with what we see here, we pray in Christ's 